when my family betrays me. He's faithful. When my job played out, I've had a job play out before. I've been in a day with kids that I didn't know how I was going to pay the mor- put the next meal on the table, literally, much less pay the mortgage. When my job played out, he was faithful. He was faithful. I remember I went to town one day, didn't know if I was going to have the gas to get home, much less food to eat when I got there. And when I pulled up on my back porch, my back porch was full of groceries. To this day, I don't know who or what or how. Nobody knew as far as I knew. No. But he knew. And you know what? He's faithful. He's faithful. All I have needed. His hands has provided. I thank God. I thank Him today because He's faithful. He's never done me anything but good. Ever. He gets a lot of blame for a lot of things. But I can tell you, He's never done me anything but good. That's it. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord if you can stand it. It's almost to the point I can't stand it. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I'm glad that I don't have to serve dead religion. That I can serve a living God that can make his presence known in his house. Aren't you? Well, I've been looking forward to today. And you have too. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) I'm thankful for Dean and Peggy Caldwell I've tried to remember how long I've known them and it's just been a while (laughs) I I count him I count Dean Caldwell among my heroes I do I was thinking about it this morning my heroes have never worn capes or wore ball helmets my heroes wield a sword of the word of God skillfully and a shield of faith that builds me up. My, my heroes preach the word and see lives changed because of the manifest presence of a living God. So it's my honor and my privilege and my pleasure today to bring one of my heroes to the pulpit to bring the word of God today. You're not, you'll leave different than you came, I promise. So would you welcome Maurice Phil Assembly God, Evangelist Dean Caldwell. Praise the Lord. I believe it's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible said that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Have you ever noticed the Bible starts out assuming you believe in God? It doesn't tell you where God come from. There's no history. There's no family record. He just said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What does that mean? Our Bible is not a book to prove the existence of God. 
It's a book about the already existing God. And it starts out on faith, just believing there is a God. Wow, I'm glad I believe in him. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation. It's good to be here. Good to see everybody out this morning. I'm expecting God to do some great things. Peggy and I are excited about being here. Miss Peggy, would you stand? This is my lovely wife, Peggy. And uh, yeah. we've been married 47 years, and I know for a fact she's had at least 12 good ones out of that. Six months here, a few days there, but she's had at least 12 good ones out of that. But we're excited about being here today. Tonight, we're going to be speaking on end times, where we're at in the timeline of eternity. The Bible does give some direction concerning that in Monday and Tuesday. Also, I want to make mention, we, do, we have started a podcast. It airs every Monday, and if I don't announce this, my son-in-law will say something about this. I didn't even know what a podcast was two months ago, but it's on Spotify. And it's called Elevating the Word. You can get on there and see that. I want to get right into the Word of God this morning that God has laid in my heart. I, I told Brother J.R., I said, this is going to be a little different. I'm not going to preach end times on Sunday morning. But uh, the day before yesterday, I got up with this just rumbling in my spirit. I want to talk to you about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without a resurrection, salvation would have never been complete. There had to be a resurrection. There's two ingredients for salvation that must have been and had to take place, and one was shedding of blood, and the other was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of St. John, chapter 11. I want to read one verse of Scripture, verse number 25. I know you've been standing, but if you're able, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God one more time? You'll appreciate this when I get started here in a minute of time. St. John chapter 11 and verse number 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Wow. Now this is Jesus speaking to Lazarus' sister. Here, because Lazarus had been dead at this point four days. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would add your blessing to this word. You speak deep in the confines of our heart. Give us understanding today, Lord. Let us mature and grow in the things of God. And if there's one person in this building are listening today, I pray that you'd touch them with conviction. Let them know how much you love them and that they too can receive salvation and accept you as Lord of their life. Move powerful in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated this morning. 
This is a story or part of the story about Lazarus. Lazarus and Jesus were very close friends and Jesus was gone from the town of Bethany and the Bible said he got word that Lazarus was sick. And if you'll notice in the first part of this chapter, chapter 11, that Jesus tarried two days after he heard that Lazarus was sick. And then he said to the disciples, let's go uh, to Lazarus' house. Lazarus is asleep and we're going to go wake him up. And the scripture said that the disciples spoke to him and said this, if he's asleep, he's doing good. And then Jesus is very plain with his wording here, and I'm glad he was because there would have been some discrepancies in the story if he had not. And he looked at the disciples and said, he's dead. I'm going to go raise him back from the dead. And the Bible said that when he arrived at Bethany, the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, met him. And when they met him, they said this, if you had have been here four days ago, our brother would not have died. Wow, now put this together because this is an interesting thing in prophecy. From the time Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick until he raised him from the dead was a total of six days, six days of time. And it had to do with the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just show you this. For, and I, I'm sorry, Caleb, I didn't give you this verse of Scripture. I gave him a list of them that we might use this morning. But I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 17 and read the first three verses there. And while I'm reading this, I want you to pay close attention to verse number 1. In Matthew chapter 17, in verse number 1, he said, and after six days. Now watch this. After six days, six is a number to pay attention to when you're reading the Word of God. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, in a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as light. Look at verse 3. And there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, let me show you about the resurrection in this passage of Scripture. Moses is a representation of the dead in Christ. Elijah is a representation of the live and remain because Moses died in the land of Moab. Elijah was translated out of here by, by just the, the power and the strength of God. But I just wanted to point out the number six there that you look for that when you're reading the Word of God and it would generally always in this category be surrounded with the number of man and the resurrection of God taking man out of this world. But that's not what I'm preaching about this morning. I want to show you some things from the scripture that are very powerful and needed in our life to establish our faith a little deeper in the Lord. Understand this, Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. God had placed the penalty of death on sin. And Paul reiterates this when he said, the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. This started back in the book of Genesis. When God spoke to Adam and said, Adam, in the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. In the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. At that point, God placed the penalty of death on sin. Adam was made eternal. He was placed on this eternal. Death did not come on the scene till after Adam had fallen, after he had disobeyed God. So death is the penalty of sin. You know the story, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and when they did, they fell from where God had created them as immortal people, incorruptible people, to what they had fallen to, and man has degenerated himself to today. I hear people make this statement, well, preacher, that's just how God made me. Well, I got some news for you. The way God made man was to be able to have fellowship with God. That's how God made us. Man has deprived himself and fallen to the state he's in today. God never made man to kill his family. God never made man to destroy things around him. Man has fallen and digressed to the point he is today. But God made us with the ability to have relationship with him so we can walk in his presence got some good news for you. That's how it's going to end up too. Whenever this thing's all said and done, that's how it's going to end up. But watch this now. God had placed the penalty on, on sin and said, Adam, you're going to die. I was doing a minister seminar here a few years ago, and, 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 and sometimes that's not a blessing, Pastor. Sometimes that's just not a blessing. But I was doing it in the independent world, and here come a preacher down the aisle with his finger in the Bible. I hate to see that. I really hate to see that because I know it's trouble. And, and, and he come to me, and he said, Brother Dean, I know you're stirred of the Word of God. And he just building me up, and I'm thinking in my mind, get on with it, Brother. I, you've got a question here, and I know you've got a question. He said, well, he said, I know you believe that there's no discrepancies in the Word of God. I said, I do believe that. There is no discrepancies. He said, well, there is one, and I'm going to show you. I said, well, let's see it. He said, God told Adam, in the day you're going to eat of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. He said, do you know how long Adam lived? I said, yes, sir, 930 years. He said, well, he didn't die whenever he eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I looked at him, and I said, brother, have you seen him? lately. Have you seen Adam lately? He said, no. I said, then he died, just like God said he was going to. What the problem is, you misunderstood. God made him eternal, and Adam brought sin into the camp that brought about death. The penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But here's something for us to understand. When Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible said their eyes were open. Uh, Caleb, I don't believe I gave you this one either, but Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, let me read verse 7 and 8 and put these together. Genesis 3, verse 7 and 8. He said, the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made aprons for themselves 
And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. You see, God had made man to be eternal. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, and creeping things that creep up on the earth. When God made man, he made him after God's image, that's to look like God, after his likeness, that's to act like God. But after they had fallen, their eyes were open. They pulled fig leaves off of a tree and made garments for themselves. And they came before God dressed in fig leaves. God looked at them, and I don't, you won't find this in the King James or any other version, but I'm believing God said to them, hey guys, that's a good job making clothes out of leaves. Never quite seen that, done like that before. But you can't cover your own sin. You can't sanctify yourself. I'm going to have to do that for you. You've done a good job of trying, but you cannot cover your own sin. You cannot sanctify yourself. You need a Savior. And because God had placed the penalty of death on sin, something had to die. Something had to die. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 verse 21. Look at this. Genesis 3 verse 21. Unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Watch this. God performed the first sacrifice that was ever performed in the scripture. Something had to die. Now, if you was reading this from the Hebrew Chronicles, here's what you would see. There's a couple sheep over here. They're eating grass. They're totally innocent of the sin of Adam and Eve. They don't even know about the fall. They're unaware that Adam and Eve has disobeyed God, but something had to die. So God took the life of these innocent sheep. Look how smart God is. And he took the covering off of them, which was their skin. And he transferred the innocent covering of the sheep to the guilty party and covered them with the skins of the innocent animal. It was transfer of the innocence from the sacrifice that was made to the guilty. Now you're getting a picture of how this all come down in the Word of God. Whenever God transferred the innocence of the two sheep here to the guilty party, the sacrifice was made. And it was set as a precedence at that point. Every year from that point on, sacrifice was made. Well, let, let's see. I'm sorry, Caleb. I don't think I put this one on there either. But uh, just, just flip a page there. Whatever you do on that computer. Chapter 4. Let me, let me look here. Just let me read the first two verses. To, to set a precedence here. Man, he's doing good. <laughs> I gave him a list of scripture and I've done used half of them that I didn't even give him. All right, watch this now. Genesis 4, verse number 1 and 2. Adam knew Eve his wife, she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Verse 2, and again she bore Abel. 
Abel is a keeper of the sheep. Cain is a tiller of the ground. Now let me show you something here. Cain and Abel were the first set of twins mentioned in the Word of God. Cain and Abel were twins, even though their names don't rhyme, they're still twins. Understand that. Cain and Abel, here's why. She conceived one time and bore twice. That made them twins. Why is that important? They were raised at the same time with the same teaching. They both knew what it took to get to God. But on their worship time, Cain brought turnips and okra and squash and and cucumbers to God. And Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Now, I get this question a lot. Well, preacher, I don't get it. Cain is a tiller of the ground. He brought of his substance to God. Understand, this was not a tithing sacrifice. This was a worship sacrifice. And the worship sacrifice required a blood sacrifice, not turnips and cucumbers. That simply identified for us in the New Testament that there's only one door. You can only get to Christ one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He is the means and the way into heaven. So the Bible said that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's sacrifice. Have you noticed in the scripture, the first fight was over worship? Man, don't that blow your mind. The first fight in the scripture was over worship. The first killing in the scripture was over worship as well. Cain rose up and he killed Abel. But a precedence was set when God performed the first sacrifice that was ever performed. Something had to die, so the sheep died to cover the guilty, so the substitutive sacrifice was made. Then Moses was led by God for the children of Israel to leave uh, Egypt lamb, and the Bible said that he required them to get a lamb. Now, don't go here, Caleb. I'm just going to tell them where this is at. And this is in Exodus 12 when God said, go bring a lamb from the flock and bring it into the house and keep it four days. My Lord, church, I could preach an hour on that four-day deal there because it's prophecy. And in the fourth day, you kill the lamb and you apply the blood to the post to the door. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, I don't have time to get into that in detail, but there's some good prophetic stuff wrapped up in that. But here's the thing. It was a precedence was set. Every year from that point forward, the Jewish people had to offer God on a yearly basis a sacrifice, a substitute for themselves. It was done on a yearly basis. They, when, they, when Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness, they brought the sheep, the goat, the calf, the turtle dove, whatever it was, to the side door, and they would cut the throat. They would catch the blood in a basin, and the priest would take it in and offer it on the altar as a sacrifice representing those people. Now, let me help you get your mind wrapped around this. Why did he drain the blood? Because God said in Genesis 6, unto Noah, life is in the blood. Not blood is life, life is in the blood. It's an agent that God put there. So when they drained the blood from the body of that animal, life was in the blood. 
So it was a substitute for that family and they would put it on the altar. But here was the problem with that. The animals could offer the price, but they could not beat the price. They could pay the price, which was death, but they could not beat the price, which was resurrection. It was a blood sacrifice that was required for mankind. So when the Old Testament saints died, they died still facing their sin. Why? Because they wasn't able no longer to go present themselves. They died facing their sin. Keep that in mind, because I'm going to jump in on that in a moment of time. But what we needed was somebody that could pay the price and then beat the price. That's what we needed. And Jesus fulfilled that. He came from heaven to this earth. Caleb, go to Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start... Uh, let's see, I, I've done a couple of these in Sunday school this morning. Uh, let's, let's start in verse 5, and I'll read it on down, all right? In verse 5, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and become obedient to death, even to the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a story of Jesus coming from heaven to this earth. Here's a story of Jesus stepping down from the deity of heaven. Why did he do that? Because a God cannot die. And we needed somebody that could pay the price, which was death, and then beat the price, which was resurrection. The animals could pay the price, but they could not beat the price. So Jesus came down from heaven. He wrapped himself in flesh of mankind and came into this earth so he could die on the cross of Calvary. Wow. I get this question a lot. Preacher, how could he be very much man and very much God at the same time? How can he be man and God in the same person? Let me take a detour here and explain that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. The very last phrase of verse 20. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Just want to hit this a lick or two where you get your mind around it, all right? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph is contemplating marriage. To a lady he just found out is expecting a child and the child is not his. And so he don't know what to do, but the angel of God appeared to him. Look at the last phrase of verse 20. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Now watch this. The father determines the blood type of a child. That's the reason they can take your blood and find out whether you're the daddy of that kid or not. Because a father determines the blood type of a child. Mary made him a body which was earthy body inside her body. But his blood was determined not by mankind, but by God Almighty. 
So his blood was not O positive or O negative or A positive or A, ne- A negative. His blood was divine. And his blood being divine made him the son of God. His body being earthy made him the son of man. And because Mary was of the tribe of Judah and she was of the lineage of David, he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah, the seed of David. But he was very much man and very much God at the same time. And he came from heaven down to this earth. Now watch this. He walked on this earth. He performed all kinds of miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. What wonderful things he'd done. But not one of those miracles would save you. He had to die. He had to die on the cross of Calvary and pour his life's blood out in order for mankind to be saved from their sin. Why? Because we were under the penalty of death. There was no way out. We were going to die physically and spiritually. We needed somebody that could pay the price and then beat the price, and Jesus done exactly that. But the Old Testament saints, when they died still facing their sin, they wasn't good enough to go in the presence of God when they died, so they went into a place that's called paradise. Oh, don't that knock your hat in the creek? Yeah. They couldn't go in the presence of God. They're still facing their sin. Let me show you that. Luke chapter 16, verse 26. Caleb, put that up there, and I'll just preach up to that point. Here's a story that Jesus said. There was a rich man, verse 19. He said this, there was a rich man, fared sumptuously every day, clothed in purple. There was a beggar named Lazarus. Moreover, the dog came, licked his sores, but Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. But look in verse 26. He could look across into paradise and seen Lazarus there, and he said, Abraham, will you send Lazarus and dip his finger in water that he can cool my tongue? I'm tormenting these flames. And Abraham said, no, can't do that. Besides that, there is a great gulf fixed between us. What do you say? Hell and paradise at one time was in the earth together. Why? Because the Old Testament saints were still facing their sin. When they died, they're still facing their sin. They needed somebody that could set them free. Watch this. Abraham said to the rich man, I can't get to you, you can't get to me, because there's a great gulf fixed. Now, Caleb, put up Hebrews 11, verse 13. This would tell you for a fact. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Watch this. These all died in faith not having, not having, not having received the promise, but having seen it afore all, were persuaded of it and embraced it and confessed. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They died in faith without seeing the promise of the Lord. They were in captivity. But when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, when he bowed his head and said, it is finished. Now watch, something had to happen here. You see, his blood is eternal. So his blood, 
the divine blood had to be separated from the earthly body because the body was going to pay the penalty of sin. St. John chapter 19 and verse 34. Now watch this. The blood had to be separated from the body. John 19 and verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. Before his body was taken from the cross, the divine blood was released from the side of Jesus Christ because the divine blood could not go into the death chamber. He was coming to pay the price. And his body, which was given to him by Mary, it paid the price of death. But that divine blood's gonna do something even better than that. But Jesus died, his, his, his body was placed in the tomb. But now watch this, the three days that Jesus was in the tomb, there was something that transpired. Ephesians chapter four, verse number eight and verse number nine. I'm not making this up. I'm reading it to you from the word of God. Ephesians chapter four, verse number eight and verse number nine. He said, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. Look at verse nine. He said, he that ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts, P-A-R-T-S, more than one, the lower parts of the earth. He led captivity captive. Oh, while we're on this, let's get this real good. First Peter chapter three and verse number 19. Watch this now. Peter had some inside here. First Peter chapter three, verse number 19. He said this, he said that by which also he preached to the spirits in prison. Oh, if that's not plain enough, skip a page there. Uh, Caleb, go to chapter four and verse number six. Peter's still preaching this message. Now watch this, chapter four and verse number six. He said, which also he went for this cause, the gospel was preached to them that are dead. Wow, watch that. You can't get around that. Jesus went into paradise where the old saints of God were held captive because they were still facing their sin. He walked into paradise and said, who you waiting for? Who you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now Zechariah chapter 12. The book of Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. Watch this now. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. He said, I will pour out upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Jesus went into paradise and said, guys, who you looking for? And he led captivity captive. He emptied out paradise and brought them forth. Oh, let me take this one step farther. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53. This is the story here when Jesus arose from the dead. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 52 and 53. He said this, and many of the saints, or the graves were opened, watch this, 
after many bodies of the saints which slept came out of the graves after his resurrection and went in the holy city and appeared to many. What was that? That's when paradise was being emptied up. They're no longer facing their sin, but from the cross of Calvary after his resurrection on that third day, that resurrection morning, Jesus stood in the mouth of that cave and said, you can't hold me death. You can't hold me grave. I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And Jesus stepped out of that tomb. And when he did, sir, salvation become real to every soul. Yes. He shed his blood. But he beat the penalty. And he rose, triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And brought victory to whosoever will. I'm no longer facing my sin. That's the reason why Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8. He said, this is the confidence we have, willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Now, when a saint of God dies, they don't go into paradise. They go into the presence of God. Wow. Why? Because we're not facing our sin. It has been forgiven us. It's not ahead of us. It is behind us. And in the presence of God, we're the saints of God now. Or, you know, your, your loved ones that have preceded you in death are in the presence of God. I've got to hit this a lick or two. I may preach on this later this week, but I've run into some things here last year or so that's just mind-boggling to me, and that is soul sleep. The people actually believe that people that die, their soul, spirit, everything, just sleep and they're in a coma. That ain't right. Moses and Elijah appeared on Mount Transfiguration, and when they did, Moses at that time had been dead 1,700 years. And he appears on Mount Transfiguration chatting it up. Yeah. Your loved ones that have preceded you in death are in the presence of God. Caleb, did I give you Revelation 14 and 17? If I didn't find that, brother, I want them to see this. I'm not going to preach on this, but do you know there's a church house in heaven where God is the pastor? Yeah. Your loved ones still go to the house of God. Your moms and dads that have preceded you in death and your family, they still go to church. Revelation 14, verse 17, watch this. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. Having a sharp sickle. There's seven more scriptures just like that one. And four out of those seven talk about people in the house of God. I got a mom and dad that's there, and they attended church today. My wife's mom and dad attended church today. 
in the house of God. Lord, I could preach an hour on that. And I usually do when I'm on it. <laughs> but there's a church house in heaven. When I preach that, I, I start where the church begins and it will end. In the new heaven, new earth, there won't be a church. Because we'll be living with him. And it says that in the scripture. Wow, I don't know why I'm doing so much on that. Somebody just needed to hear that this morning. Your loved ones are not in a coma. They're in the presence of God alive and well. And mama, let me tell you, and daddy, let me tell you, if you lost a child, they're doing well. And not only that, I can prove to you by the scripture, you'll raise them when you get there. Fact is, I have a CD about that in a packet back there on that table. We've not lost by a long shot. We're just strangers passing through this life. We got a bright future. I got a deal back there. Heaven, will it be home to you? You know, Heaven's going to be where we just simply are going to assume another life with no sin, no pain, no sorrow, and our families will be with us. I get that question a lot. Preacher, you think there'll be male and female in heaven? I say, I know they will. Scripture says they will. When God made Adam and Eve... They were male and female, and they were both eternal. He started it out like that. He'll end it up like that. Lord, somebody's needing this this morning. You've got a bright future. Because there was a resurrection. A resurrection. Jesus is Lord. You see, the blood had to be shed, but there had to be a resurrection. The penalty had to be paid, and then it had to be beat. Jesus paid the penalty. Now watch this. I'm going to wind this up. Will you give me five more minutes? Would you? How many here give me five more minutes? Lord, look at that. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. I believe I'm going to be able to finish this. Go to St. John chapter uh, 20, verse 17. Jesus had stepped out of the tomb. The tomb is empty. The disciples came, and Mary, and some more of the women came. They left there distraught because they've been told the body has been stolen. This would have been devastating for the church. For news to get out everywhere, the body was stolen because he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. Look at verse 17. Mary recognized him after he spoke to her. And she came over to him and he said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father, your father, my God, your God. 
Now, what's this all about? Don't touch me. You see, before priests went behind the veil to offer the atoning lamb sacrifice, he spent three days sanctifying himself. If somebody touched him, he had to do it all over again because he would have been unclean. And Jesus said, I've spent three days in the tomb. Don't touch me, Mary. I have not yet ascended to my Father. I'm not going to do verse 27. I'll come back to that in a moment of time. But go to Hebrews 9. And let's start in verse 12. Pay attention to this. Because Jesus gathered his own blood up. Remember, it was separated from the body. He gathered his own blood up. What did he do with it? He ascended back into heaven, and here's what happened. Hebrews 9 and verse 12, beginning. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for the ashes of a heifer, the blood of bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God, and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. I just said to you, there's a church house in heaven. Here's what Hebrews 9 will tell you in the rest of the chapter. Jesus took his own blood. He ascended into heaven. He walked down the aisle of the sanctuary that's in heaven to the altar before the throne of God. And he poured his blood out on the altar and said, Whosoever will, let them come and drink of the water of life freely. Now watch this. So the Father sits on the throne. And when he looks at you, he sees you through the blood. Because that's where the blood's at today. He looks at you through the blood. And when he looks at you through the blood, he sees you as saved. He sees you as purified. He sees you as justified. He sees you as sanctified. Now then, where's my part come in? I put myself under the blood of Jesus Christ by my confession of him as being Lord of my life. But God looks at us through the blood from the throne. From the throne room of heaven. He looks at us and sees us justified, purified, and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus came back to this earth. Remember verse 17, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended. John 20, verse 27, 10 verses later. It's proof. He went to heaven, put his blood, and then come back. Now watch this. In verse 27, Thomas is there. Verse 17, you can't touch him because I've not yet ascended. But look at verse 27. Thomas, stick your fingers up here, bud. Run your hand in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe him. What's he saying? You can touch me now. Because he had made the trip. Don't touch me, I've not yet ascended. But he went into heaven itself and to the temple of God and put his blood on the eternal altar. That's where it's at today. 
But when he came back to this earth, he walked on this earth 40 days. Did I give you this, Caleb? Is there Acts 1 and 3 on there? Acts 1 and 3, if not, put it up, but I want them to see this. Acts chapter 1, verse number 3. He proved himself alive after many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus went to heaven, put his blood on the altar, come back, and walked on this earth 40 days. Why? It's symbolism. It takes 40 weeks from conception to the birth of a child. The 40 days Jesus walked on this earth, he's birthing a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Moses fasted 40 days and the Ten Commandments was birthed. Elijah fasted 40 days and a double portion was birthed. Jesus walked on this earth 40 days and a church was birthed. Because of the resurrection, we are redeemed. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I don't know everybody in this building, but I just feel this urgency here, and it may be someone watching by means of the airway. But I want to ask, is there anybody in this house, you're unsaved and you don't know him as Lord of your life. You know about him, but you don't know him as Lord of your life, and you're sick of living like you're living. You're just tired of it. You need a change. You need an internal change. Not only internal change, you need an eternal change as well. And your answer is Jesus and the resurrection. I wonder if there's anybody here, you just slip your hand up and right back down. And by you lifting your hand, you're making a statement. Preacher, I'm not right with God, but I really want to be. He done all this for me. He paid the price for me. I really want him to be Lord of my life. Is there a hand anywhere? Just slip it up. That won't save you. It just shows you're interested. There's a hand. A little hand lifted. You can put your hand back down, darling. Anybody else? Slip your hand up, preacher. I'm not right with God, but I want to be right with God. Is there a hand anywhere? Just slip it up. I've seen one little hand lifted this morning. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. You know, whenever I'm preaching and I detour and I spend a little time, the Holy Spirit tells me there's somebody there needing something. How many people in this building this morning, you've lost a child? I want to see your hand. Hands, several hands. You've lost a child. My wife and I lost a child. How many here's lost a family member just in a short period of time, not long? 
Hands going up. You just need a healing. You just need a healing. I want to ask you to do something this morning, and I don't normally do it like this, but I just feel this so strong. You that lifted your hand, you've lost a child, or you need a healing in your life, you've just got a fresh wound of losing a family member. Would you just stand right at your seat where you're at? Just stand. It's fresh. Very fresh. Just need a healing. Need a touch. I've got two grown girls, but we lost a baby between the girls. Never got told that baby, but one day I will. And I'm going to raise that baby. And God's word says I can. Says I can. And you that are around these, you see them and they're hurting. Would you just stand up beside them? Maybe cross the aisle somewhere and just go over beside them and be near them. While we pray this morning, just praying. Just praying. Father, right now in Jesus' name, there's some hurting people in this building and God, many of them have unanswered questions. But I pray with just the sweetness of your love and the confines of your blessing, you will surround them, touch them, and give them comfort. And God, just let them by through their spirit in on a little bit of secret of what heaven's like and what it's all about. And Lord, for this little hand that was lifted that just said they're not right with God, I pray that as they asked you into their heart this morning, you'll be real to them. You'll bless them, touch them. And God, I pray this morning that the power and the strength of God would fill this building to every hurting heart that's here. Every soul in this place will be touched by the hand of God because you live. We're going to live also. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you for the resurrection. We are redeemed.